0: On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the July 2016 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thanks for joining us today for what's going to be another terrific conversation. My first guest is Dr. Curtis Sessler. He's the Ormond Murin Distinguished Professor of Medicine at the Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. He's here to talk about his article, Burnout Syndrome in Critical Care Healthcare Professionals, A Call for Action. Kurt, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Also joining us is Dr. Stephen Pastores, Program Director for the Critical Care Medicine at the Department of Anesthesia and Critical Care Medicine at Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. Steve, thanks for joining us as well.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So, you know, Kurt's at the stage. I mean, it's probably somewhat obvious, I suppose, but what is burnout syndrome?
2: So burnout uh, actually was described uh, maybe 50 years ago, 40 years ago or so, um, and the person who is perhaps best known around the world for work and burnout as a, a, a Ph.D. by the name of Christina Maslach, And uh, she defines it as uh, a state of emotional and mental-physical exhaustion caused by excessive stress in the workplace. And she specifically points to a mismatch between the nature of the job and the nature of the person who does the job she kind of okay. uh, she and she goes uh, on to really define three key dimensions and I can fill you yeah, in please. a little bit about those those are uh, emotional exhaustion uh depersonalization so the cynical attitudes and detached feelings uh conflicts things of that nature and then diminished personal accomplishment and she devised a tool kind of the called the Maslach burnout inventory that's used worldwide and really is pretty much the industry standard as far as uh, defining and quantifying uh, the amount of burnout uh, in in a variety of different research settings but that really paints the picture of a, of a situation where um, people are emotionally exhausted and it's uh, has to do with workplace work issues
0: well let me let me ask both of you I mean you know to, to sort of be the, the cynic here um, you know no one said that being a doctor was an easy job isn't this just the price of business?
2: Very good question and uh, you know we're seeing plenty of stress in the workplace and it's and we all uh, kind of thrive on that a bit Uh, certainly those uh, of us working in the ICU setting um, you know a little bit of stress is probably a good thing it uh, motivates uh, it uh, we all tend to work a little bit better under pressure Um, but the problem is when the stress becomes excessive becomes prolonged uh, really uh, leads to kind of a dysfunctional uh, adaptation that the individual may have, and, and rather than being over engaged and energized by the stress, then uh, people tend to become disengaged. Uh, uh, more that uh, sense of uh, I'm over my head, uh, and it really has gotten kind of out of control. So I think it's you know it is one of those things that goes with the territory. Uh, I think the challenge is that. Uh, when one looks at it, it's really darn common uh, among both ICU nurses and physicians, and probably other uh, ICU healthcare workers. Um, and in fact, it's very common among uh, physicians uh, altogether. Uh, so it's 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 out there, and probably getting more and more frequent. In fact.
0: Steve, Steve, what do you think? I mean, you, you, you know. So we're, we're, you're both critical care doctors, but you're both coming at it from a slightly different approach. You know, with a sort of medical based approach versus an anesthesia based approach. Does that matter, or is it is it a physician thing? Is it a critical care thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of factors uh, that Kurt already kind of mentioned. I think what what's also been uh, happening in the at least in the world of critical care. Um, is a little bit of the changes that we've seen in terms of the patient demographics and the types of ICU patient populations that we're seeing, the evolving ICU workforce, uh, legislative mandates um, and directives, and then ultimately the balance between, you know, um, the business of critical care and and, and the image uh, that we're trying to project as an institution in delivering critical care services. So I think a lot a lot of these factors are are. Putting some pressure, if you will, uh, in terms of our critical care workforce, which is already kind of spread thin to begin with, and then you have all these external and internal pressures to deliver, you know, safe and highly effective uh, care, uh, but you know, with sometimes limited resources, and so the accumulation of of those types of stressors. Are, are probably uh, increasing the uh, tendency and likelihood for why burnout is becoming more and more a phenomenon that critical care uh, professionals might be experiencing of of late.
0: Well, how high a rate are we talking, guys? Like across the profession, and in particular in critical care.
1: I mean, if you look at the most recent survey from Medscape, which I quoted, and I believe was also quoted uh, in in Kurt's uh, uh, call to action paper uh, for the CCSC, it was it was it was like somewhere about 50% to 60%. It's one of the top specialties very closely uh, uh, with emergency medicine uh, as one of the highest uh, burnout rates uh, among across all the specialties. So we're, we're talking, you know, 50 to 60% uh, burnout rates right now that have been reported at least in the last couple of years' survey from, from that Meds- Medscape lifestyle report.
2: Yeah, I think that's a pretty informative um survey that was published in a fairly large number. Uh, survey data is always a little tricky to deal with, but uh, it's really reinforced by additional published studies where um, individuals, uh, workers, and, and uh, ICs, both physicians and nurses, uh, underwent uh, the Moss Lodge, uh, uh, burnout inventory and, and other more concrete uh, measures beyond just uh, self-reporting. So, so I think it's pretty consistent, a third to a half, um, and uh, both docs and nurses. Um, within the Medscape data, I think what's noteworthy there is it tends to be the folks who are working on the front line. So <clears throat> Steve mentioned emergency medicine hand-in-hand hand with critical care, so the top two. And then family medicine, internal medicine, general surgeons. So folks who are really kind of on the front lines of patient care, I think, are are feeling it perhaps more than uh, than uh, some of the other specialties.
0: More more so than the the than the consultative type uh, specialties. It sounds like. Right. Right. Now you may want
2: to become a dermatologist. <laughs> Seriously, I think they were at the at the low end of burnout, which is great. For them. <laughs> you know, uh, Kyle, one of the challenges yeah. here, and one of the reasons you asked, you know, gee, isn't this doesn't this just go with the territory? And and Steve uh, alluded to this as well, is that you know there's downstream ramifications of it. That's the problem: is that uh, the impact on the individual can be significant but what it also does is it uh, is clearly associated with higher rates of turnover uh it's associated with medical errors um it's associated with uh even patient dissatisfaction in terms of some of the uh data teasing it out those who the uh, care providers who who had a high burn higher burnout rates were associated uh, ultimately with uh with impacts on patient care such that uh patient care was was uh uh, less well thought of for those individuals. So, it, so it's the kind of thing that really it's a bit of a vicious cycle. Uh, in fact, in some areas, you can imagine that if you're burnt out and you're uh, disengaged, you're more likely to commit a medical error uh, because you're not paying as good attention. You, perhaps you don't care as much. And on the other hand, if you commit a medical error, then certainly that has a negative impact on your self-esteem, on your uh, belief in your ability to do the work, et cetera, Some guilt and so on. So it 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 is one of those things that I think uh, has a uh, clear cut potential for cycling into a lot of negative uh, sort of actions.
0: And you make a clear point too. I mean, if besides, so it's not just the individual. There's an impact then on the on the system itself. Your your articles describe. You know, there's a there's a definitive cost involved when there's a high staff turnover, and that's one of the other components of this, the medical error clearly and sort of the reputation of your medical center. And then I was also thinking one of the things that wasn't talked about but but and not because I believe there's not data, but I can imagine, um, for those of us that are working in a teaching institution, I mean, you're partly there acting as a role model for your fellows and your residents. And, you know, what kind of a role model are you being slash mentor when, you know, you are suffering from burnout syndrome?
1: Yeah. It's definitely yeah. very, very challenging, particularly in the uh, era where I think we're all taking care of a heavier patient workload, longer hours, a lot of bureaucratic and computer-related tasks, and and conflict sometimes with uh, sometimes uh, other doctors or caregivers, and maybe interactions with patients and caregivers that may, or may not always be uh, as 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 you know well as we would like them to be. Sometimes I think these are all certainly um, uh, important factors to uh, to consider um, that may be aggravating things.
0: So let's talk about some of the risk factors. I was struck by some of the data that showed that, you know, I, I think when I first started reading the article, as I was, you know, digesting it, my first thought was, okay, well, this is probably a phenomenon we sort of see, you know, with the veteran physician, you know, 20 years in the trenches, you know, yada, yada. and And instead, you're actually starting to see it, Earlier and at higher rates, even amongst trainees or very early, you know, attending positions. And can we can we talk about you know sort of the demographics and then also what are some of the risk factors? Yeah, you bet. So <clears throat>
2: uh, there's a fellow by the name of Tate uh, Shanafelt who uh, is at Mayo Clinic, and they have done a ton of work uh, looking at. The real gamut from trainees and medical students to practicing physicians and surgeons and so on, and really have done a nice job of, uh, of identifying risk factors and, and even implementing uh, approaches to mitigate and prevent, uh, to prevent burnout. But it, it is all over the place. And, and uh, one uh, finding that I thought was particularly interesting really has to do with ICU nurses, and when you looked at the variety of different risk factors from organizational issues to conflict in communication to end of life to personal descriptive characteristics, one thing that popped out was that uh, being young was actually a risk factor for ICU nurses. And, you know, thinking about that a little bit, I think what's happened there is that older nurses have self-selected. They've decided uh, that they they like the work, and they're probably more resilient. I think they've also self-selected in that they they know what their capabilities are. And so it was just interesting to see that if you're young, you're actually at higher risk, and maybe that you're just not battle-tested and, and haven't uh, kind of self-selected. Uh, right. The ones who burned out left,
0: right? The ones who burned out yeah. left.
2: Yeah, very, very possibly, absolutely. You know, you think about the ICU setting, and this is why it's important, and actually uh, it's one reason why the uh, Critical Care Society's collaborative, the CCSC, chose to take on this topic, is that it is definitely multi-professional. There's no question that it impacts different care providers, uh, physicians and nurses being the the two uh, largest groups. And... um, as a, res- as a result, there are some similarities and some differences, actually, between the two groups as far as risk factors go. Um, but if you think about the ICU, it's, it's got a lot of characteristics. It would lend itself, I think, to being a site where you would expect a higher rate. So you've got you know, a high-stress situation. You've got high-stakes decision-making that's often very quick, Um, Things happen uh, all at once, so you may have too much to do. Um, It can be battlefield-like in terms of trauma or blood and guts type of things, you know, can uh, be pretty graphic. Um, Emotional conflict um, with uh, end-of-life issues and the things that go with that in terms of uh, potentially futile care and moral distress, things like that. Conflicts and, and communication challenges uh, when you've got a lot of different people working together and you know tossed into become a team, but sometimes uh, not as well seasoned as a classic team might be. And then the crazy hours that we sometimes work, that Steve mentioned as well, and in, in you know high number of hours in a, in a week's time in some cases. So, so if you think about it, really is kind of the perfect storm scenario for. Uh, risk for for burnout to happen, and you know you can imagine very much like uh, emergency medicine, for example. Um, so that uh, it's helped us in, inform us also about you know what some of the risk factors might be and so on.
0: So the so the first component of any you know problem or or disorder, if you will, is to to you know define it. Analyze it. Let's get the sense of the scope of it. Well, we have a tool that uh, you know, and I'll I'll freely admit my ignorance. This is the first time I'd ever heard of the Maslach Burnout Inventory test. Um, Could we uh, expand a little bit more on that? Because I mean, I think maybe the you know some of our listeners might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't. I mean, I don't understand this. You know, I, I understand what you're saying, but like, how big of a problem is this? I'd like to sort of explore this rapidly within my own you know. Medical setting and is this easy to perform does it have to can you take it yourself? Does someone have to perform it upon you? has it been validated in you know outside of medicine is it other does it you know other jobs et cetera et cetera
2: I can speak to it briefly and then Steve can certainly toss some added Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts about it. I've not used it in terms of a uh, clinical setting. I think it's mostly considered to be a research tool. It is, uh, I mean, it's a uh, self-reported questionnaire. It's got 22 questions, I think, in those Mm -hmm. three domains that I mentioned. And then in each of those, there's a a seven-point scale that really defines the frequency with which you experience. I feel like um, you know I I can't work anymore. I I, I feel like um, treating my patients like they're objects or whatever. Um, and is this every day, a few times a week, once a week, et cetera. Et cetera. So it's seven different uh, frequencies, all the way to never, of course. Um, it might be becoming more callous towards people, and then <clears throat> it, it can be analyzed to give a, a score for that. Um, there is another, uh, I'm sure there's many others as well. One that I've seen is the Oldenburg uh, Burnout Inventory, and it's uh, slightly simpler. It's actually just an online uh, tool, and you punch in your answers, and you get a, a rating, you know, are you severely burn out, moderately, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think there's uh, some work that's been done, particularly, again, out of Mayo Clinic, Looking at abbreviated uh, uh, triggers that, that may be simpler um, questions that one can ask to kind of be uh, markers that uh, someone's at risk for
1: burnout. So I think there there are some different tools out there. Yeah, the only reason the MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, uh, is popular because it's used not just for healthcare professionals but policemen. Uh, for example, uh, social workers, teachers, I think, have uh, used this as well. And as Kurt mentioned, it focuses on the three domains of uh, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and lack of personal accomplishment, and it scales those three domains. Like a high score would be like, for example, greater than 30, depending on the scale, and a low score would be something like less than 17 or less than 10 for whichever of those three domains you're talking about. So, I mean, it's one that's most popularly used, and that's what's most referenced. Uh, but as Kurt mentioned, there there are others, but this one seems to get the most traction in terms of, of actual, uh, you know, publications. Yeah, very, very extensively uh, validated,
0: so... So you're both, obviously, uh, without a doubt, both very involved in critical care and very involved at your institutions, I mean, obviously also at a societal level, but wh- what steps at both of your institutions? I mean, you know, Virginia Commonwealth University, Memorial Sloan Kettering, I- I- I've not visited either ICU, but I can imagine it's very similar to my ICU at the University of Chicago in regards to the, you know, stress environment, etc., cetera, and, uh, and, and various risks for burnout syndrome. Is there anything from a practical perspective that either of you are doing to both, you know, quantify it and or take steps to alleviate it, because that's the transition I want to move towards, which is, okay, we recognize it's there, and we're definitely at risk for it. What can we do
1: about it? Yes, yeah, so uh, I could speak to what we do at Sloan Kettering Kansas Center. Sure, please. I mean, we, we have uh, a variety of programs, uh, team-building programs, we call it. Um, which basically allows our staff, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners. By the way, we have a big uh, nurse practitioner service, and we also, from time to time, have to be very concerned about the possibility of burnout among those professionals because we we use them also a lot in our ICUs and rapid response teams. But things like weekend sporting events, you know, parties, uh, meditation sessions. We have what we call uh, an afternoon tea break. Uh, in the ICU. Um, And then we also have uh, services where we debrief cases, particularly challenging end-of-life scenarios, where we have social services, ethics, palliative care, along with the ICU team of nurses, doctors, and nurse practitioners, and PAs, all kind of going through the process of understanding uh, how things could have been done differently or if they went well, uh, you know. uh, almost like an M. So, Almost like an M&M, an M&M, but we right. call it but the SSRT, a yeah, the sure, SSRT, set of rapid response, we call it like a, a social services uh, kind of response where we're bringing, uh, specifically designed to uh, make everybody feel comfortable that they can discuss these cases openly. And if there was some hint or question about how things were handled that could have been done better, that would be the forum to do that. And, and, and of course, the hospital also has... Um, you know, wellness programs and fitness programs and things like that to uh, uh, emphasize self care and, uh, and other stress reduction skills. Those are, those are the main things.
0: Have you seen it make a difference? just I mean even, even if you don't have objectivity or just anecdotally, have you seen it make a
1: difference within your critical care department? You know, anecdotally, I would say yes, um, but we, we also have to deal with uh, uh, retention. Uh, And we already talked about even some of the newer nurses who come in and within two years uh, are itching to move. Uh, But then we have others. But I think most of our mid uh, and senior level nurses have, have maybe because they've been pre-selected or have been ballot tested, as we already mentioned, are are able to stay and handle and mentor the ones that are coming up. uh, They're new. Um, And so I I would say Uh, Most of the programs have generally been helpful, um, and certainly not not every program um, uh, is something that they can um, engage with, but I think they find that at least they understand the institution and the ICU leadership uh, has ways in which uh, these things are are discussed and programs are being presented.
0: Kurt, what about you guys?
2: So, um, pretty similar to Steve's, uh, I will say that uh, some of the um, areas that uh, have... Uh, a more robust or well-developed program specifically surrounding uh, wellness and the risk for burnout is uh, in our internal medicine uh, residency program. Uh, And there's some emphasis uh, even at the medical student um, uh, level as well. So uh, there are different uh, programs kind of scattered throughout the institution. Um, and I think there's really kind of a growing interest in this. The problem is, uh, from my perspective, is that there's relatively little high-level data, even out of the programs uh, that uh, are uh, world-class leaders in this. For example, again, Mayo Clinic, um, they I believe there's only a single randomized controlled trial uh, looking at an intervention uh, for, uh, for Mayo Clinic uh, faculty and um, showing some benefit. Um, and then uh, I know there's some other work that's been published uh, out at the uh, University of Colorado, where actually one of our uh, co-authors is from Mark Moss. Uh, uh, Meredith Miller has done some nice work there looking at a um, the feasibility of a um, program uh, to develop resiliency. So, the problem is that it's there's uh, relatively little out there that that actually you can hang your hat on and and uh, develop practice. So I think there's more, uh, you know, kind of grassroots and mom and pop sort of operations rather than a standard structured approach to this. And that's one of the goals that we have in terms of raising awareness is actually to try to uh, through the CCSC try to. Uh, present a place, uh, a web page, or otherwise, where we can offer links to various programs and help disseminate uh, and potentially help with the implementation piece of it. Um, I think we all do a lot of little things, and and some of them are more structured than others, but boy, it'd be great to get a little bit more of a groundswell of activity to to have standardized approaches uh, to this with using methods that you have a lot of confidence are going to work.
0: And, and just for our listeners, the CCSC the Critical Care Society's Collaborative, is the four major U.S. professional scientific societies. So the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, American College of Chest Physicians, American Thoracic Society, and the Society of Critical Care Medicine. Is that that's correct?
2: Yeah, exactly right. Okay. And my uh, co-authors uh, on, on the paper, which uh, parenthetically is going to be published simultaneously in the four different uh, journals associated That's with great. those professional societies, reflecting really of the importance that uh, leadership of the organizations attached to it and the editors uh, in chiefs of the of the journals attached to it. Um, these folks uh, are all top-notch uh, experts in this field, and, and include Mark Moss uh, from Colorado, who's a pulmonary critical care doc, uh, Ruth Kleinfeld, who's an advanced practice uh, provider nurse, uh, Vicki Good, critical care nurse, uh, and uh, David Gazelle, who is a pediatric uh, pulmonologist. So, um, <clears throat> good, good buy-in, and, and I might mention, just uh, take the opportunity to... Uh, indicate that with the CCSC, we're committed to this area. And as I mentioned, the uh, web page uh, that, we that is in development now. But in addition to that, we're planning on uh, having a summit on ICU burnout and uh, inviting other experts uh, from uh, other uh, aspects of medicine, but also potentially outside of medicine, to help us really define uh, an implementation Approach a research agenda uh, and thoughts about how we can more effectively get traction with policy policymakers too to raise awareness and say, you know, we need to pay more attention to this uh, as a as a huge problem.
0: Well, and that's why I want to expand a little bit more, um, if the two of you don't mind. Just again for our listeners. We talked about you know that 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 the burnout syndrome you know clearly has an impact on on sort of system based things you know i mean medical errors i mean yes it might be by an individual, but that affects the medical system and turnover and the cost of retraining someone and all that, you know, that, that's, a, again, something that affects the system. But let's boil it down to the individual themselves and, and let's talk about some of the things that, that we're seeing. And if we could, even just some of the basic symptoms um, so that maybe our people listening to the podcast can start to reflect internally about whether this is something they need to be exploring within themselves and then, you know, consequently explore within their own medical system.
1: Yeah, absolutely, good point, Kyle. I mean, I think, and I say that in the editorial. I mean, we shouldn't really not forget to take care of ourselves first, and that means being aware of the phenomenon, and two, being aware of the signs, symptoms of it. And it may start very slowly, and then just build up. um, And and so there has to be some internal reflection and uh, seeking out of self-help strategies. Um, and, then, and then it's going to come down to um, uh, collaboration uh, with uh, colleagues and uh, leadership, um, and if it's a significant issue in anyone's individual ICU or critical care setting, then programs should be developed to enhance um, the working environment and uh, make this less of a, a problem and that that could mean a variety of different things on the doctor level and on the advanced practice level and I know the nurses already do it uh, is of course flexible scheduling um, and other alternative strategies like that I think uh, certainly would be uh, a way to hopefully lessen the exposure to the high stress environment for some and, and maybe that might be helpful but I think it's going to have to be an independent uh, practitioner, individual practitioner, first recognizing the signs and symptoms of it and then hopefully bringing attention to the problem. And that's why the CCS call-to-action paper and hopefully research funding is is where we need to go to establish, you know, get some data out there that that could actually be beneficial for for everybody. Kurt, what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with everything that Steve says. and, And, you know, part of it is is the recognition and, and raising awareness so that people are more uh, cognizant that uh, your neighbor, you know, if it, with a third, you know, look to your left, look to your right, one of you's got uh, probably has some degree of burnout. Uh, so the recognition and then uh, prevention and, and uh, management of it or mitigation uh, related to interventions once you've identified it. Um, you know, and I think it does. Really uh, focus on, on the individual and also on what can be done to support individual development uh, and uh, of of skills and, and recognition by that individual person, but also then the practical things that Steve mentioned in terms of uh, more thoughtful work schedules, uh, communications, uh, you know, uh, avoidance of conflict, improvement kind of uh, improvement in uh, communications, and so on. One of the areas that I think is fascinating is <clears throat> the concept of resiliency, you know, the ability to, to adapt well to a challenging situation and recover quickly. And, you know, we all know folks like that. Many of us are probably within that camp and, and also, you know, recognize when it doesn't work and, and people who could improve their resiliency. And some of that I think is learnable. Um, Uh, trainable so you can develop skills uh, to uh, become more resilient. Um, There's some interesting work out there even looking at ICU nurses comparing those who scored high on resiliency testing versus those who didn't and what you know what defined them how how were they a little different and uh, you know uh, positive thinking is one of those Uh, having a a sense of humor a sense of hope. uh, being able to drill down and take a problem apart and understand the rationale behind it. Um, some cognitive flexibility is a term that's applied to uh, thinking that allows I think, individuals to be perhaps less rigid and, and more flexible in how they're actually looking at a problem that's facing them right then in a very stressful situation. Um, and these things, as I understand it, can can be learned to a certain extent, and, and it may be that this aspect of uh, training, whether it's at the resident level or fellows or even before that, uh, ICU nurses, um, you know, may become very much a part of, uh, of uh, how, how we develop good nurses and physicians, uh, regardless of the setting, but particularly for ICU.
0: Well, and I was struck that when on the discussion, when you got down to the individual level, I mean, how much essentially the symptomatology echoes that of both severe depression and PTSD, and some combination thereof. And and all I could think of was, you know, again, there's the system-based you know issues, but for the actual individual, that will become a self-perpetuating cycle because I'm sure that has some effect ultimately on your personal life, which then, you know, feeds on this and then. Comes right back to work, and you already show up in a bad mood, you know, et cetera. And that's, you know, I think to me was the the real take home point, which was, you know, how much the individual potentially is suffering here, um, you know, in an environment that, you know, what can we do to fix it, and not just be looking at it from the system based approach, but that the actual individual, you know, yep. the, the the doctors and the nurses, and then everyone else on that team.
1: Yeah, I heard a speaker recently here at the, uh, the hospital who spoke on one of the wellness programs and talked about how we always commonly use the term or verbiage work-life balance, you know, like trying to balance work and and life. And she right. mentioned something that I thought was interesting, that maybe we should go away from talking about it as work-life balance, but more like work-life fit, uh, suggesting that it's really hard to strike a balance that, that Nowadays, the workplace is, you know, flexible and always changing. The It's so dynamic, and it, it's really hard to convey the, the message of, like, you want to constantly achieve balance when, in fact, well, there will be days where maybe you're stressed more than others. It is is it, adjusting to those situations better because you're going to have days when things are lighter, and it will never always be a balance, but you have to know how to best put yourself in situations. So. I thought that was interesting in looking at it from a work-life fit issue rather than a work-life balance and it's just factoring in the changes in the workplace and the stresses that we had now versus, you know, when Kurt and I maybe were fellows back in the the 80s or early 90s. I mean, it it really has changed and I I think the younger folks that are coming down the pike um, I I think are realizing that, that this is something that if you really want to do critical care, uh, you really have to be uh, with the right set, mindset, skill set, and obviously have all these other uh, means to uh, overcome some of these situations. Bur- you know, burnout being one of them. Yeah, you know it's interesting because uh,
2: there's a fair amount of attention, you know, on on this more broadly. And again, uh, I hate to always bring up the Mayo Clinic folks, but they're doing such marvelous work, and and some editorials looking at that, and some of just. Is the loss of control, um, and not not just in the ICU, obviously, but everywhere. And, and you think about uh, the uh, added amount of paperwork and the other stresses related to not so much seeing patients, but just the practice of medicine these days. Uh, hmm. It's not surprising that there's that sense of inability to to really govern what you perhaps were uh, accustomed to doing. There's that loss of autonomy and a lot of uh, focus on negative you know uh if you uh, have a have an error a uh, serious safety event or whatever i mean that's a big deal and and uh it's not so much on uh, all the good work that's done necessarily it, uh, it just uh, seems like the that and the time pressure to do more with less so it's it's pretty broad um there were they had uh, the the investigators uh, uh from Mayo had recently published a um a look back at, uh, um, in terms of uh, survey of a large number of uh, individuals, across uh, section of uh, U.S. physicians, and and even adjusted for the number of hours worked, uh, the likelihood of burnout was almost twice that of the average U.S. worker, even after adjusting for hours worked and other some other demographics, um, and uh, the satisfaction with work. Had dropped 10%, and the uh, prevalence of burnout had gone up 10% in just uh, three or four years. I think it was 2011 to 2014. So, so one of the back to one of the you know, comments or questions you raised earlier, Kyle, was you know well, you know uh, what's happening with this? And, and part of the problem is that it certainly is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and uh accordingly really uh, one of those uh, barriers i think long term to really good health care is uh is the challenge if you're constantly turning people over and having dissatisfaction with work and so on and so forth it's not a healthy situation so hoping hoping we can uh, get some awareness and, and uh you know be part of the solution in terms of uh turning this around
0: well, I think things like this obviously help. This article being, you know, I mean, I, I love the idea of this collaboration between the societies um, and this, you know, joint publication idea. It's a, it's an actually, I think, a great idea. And, and again, like you said earlier, you know, kudos to the editors of the of the journals and the and the societies for for taking it, you know, this important and and realizing how important it is and and giving it that level of of importance by <laughs> that that stamp of approval, if you will. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So, guys, we've been talking for a while. What haven't we touched upon, or have we, have we you know, rounded things out for our listeners? Is there anything uh, that you know we've forgotten, or, or what kind of what final thoughts do you have?
1: I think for me, I just want to applaud the efforts of Kurt and the CCFC uh, in calling attention to this. Uh, I remember, I don't know, maybe it was over 25 years ago, when KK Guntapali, former president of. Uh, Uh, ACCP had an article with, I think it was Robert Fromm, uh, that called attention to it. It was one of the first surveys on this, Uh, and here we are, you know, 20 plus years later, uh, calling more attention to it, um, particularly with the changing uh, critical care landscape. So, so I I, I think uh, having our listeners understand the problem, um, being cognizant of uh, the signs and symptoms of it, uh, think about it as a uh, that that we we are a team and that each healthcare professional should look after each other, uh, understand that there are interventions, uh, but we have to call attention to the problem uh, within our own critical care circles, with our hospital administrators, leadership, professional societies. And I think research in this area will only not only shed more light, uh, but also help promote more healthy ICU environments that hopefully will improve not just our own uh, individual health and uh, mental and physical well-being, but most importantly, give hopefully highly effective and safe uh, you know, health care to our patients.
2: Ditto. Well said, Steve. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Thank and, you. Yeah, that was a nice closing statement
0: there, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, just uh, put my stamp of approval on those. <laughs> uh, one thing that that is a challenge is the funding, is that uh, and I think right. we would looked into this perhaps market uh uh, search that, and, and I believe there are only two NIH grants currently funded uh, uh, on the whole top of burn- topic of burnout, and neither of those were really addressing the ICU setting. So, so part of our goal here is to make, uh, as Steve's mentioned, is just making a whole host of different individuals aware of the importance of this and the prevalence and the fact that it's getting more common and that it really does have serious downstream consequences for the individuals as well as for the uh, the institution. So, um, you know, it's great to see uh, a commitment at a, at a high level. The summit, we hope, will be a little bit of an additional springboard and maybe, uh, you know, continue that conversation even more broadly. Uh, we would love to get in front of uh, policymakers and, and uh, um Funding agencies and really make a difference with hospital administrators. I think there's one of those areas where system wide uh, system wide changes can make a big impact on on the health of a lot of folks. Uh, um, and what we do, you know, with individuals, I think promoting that, making it easier to do, making it more straightforward, people to uh, recognize things and have a plan of action to to help uh, mitigate it. So. I'm excited about the future. I think I think uh, we, we may end up
0: accomplishing a fair amount, which is would be great. Perfect, guys. This was great. I really appreciate your time. You bet. You thank too. you. What we were trying to accomplish. I really appreciate it. this. was a great discussion, and, and thank you so much, both of you.
2: My pleasure. A pleasure.